The fact that we're business owners and dealing with as much as we deal with is really, really impressive. And I don't think people pat themselves on the back enough either. They have really high expectations because we have wonderful interview shows. But I love how yours is very real. But a lot of people, even on my show, they're like, oh, it was great. It was hard for a while, you know, and then I figured it out. <laughs> right. So we gloss over all the shit that people go through. Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead. Follow your different where we aspire to have real conversations, conversations that are designed to shine a light on what it takes to follow your different in life, business, and of course, marketing. On this episode, Jamie Masters and a conversation about what motivates legendary entrepreneurs. Um, now, my friends at Splunk are the leaders in big data. And as you know, legendary businesses are digital businesses and data is the foundation of digital businesses. Splunk brings data to every question, every decision, and most importantly, every action. Check out splunk.com and tell them Lockhead sent you. And the good folks at Oracle NetSuite want to help you turbocharge the growth of your business. And as a listener to this podcast, they're offering you a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. So why not go to netsuite.com different and set up your growth review today. That's netsuite.com different. On this episode, Jamie Masters, she is an entrepreneurial coach and podcasting pioneer, and uh, I think she's awesome. She's the host of the Eventual Millionaire podcast, which is insanely popular. And, uh, you know, I just got to tell you, Jamie was one of the very first people um, who was sort of a superstar in the podcast world to welcome me into her world, bringing me on her podcast shortly after my first book, Play Bigger, came out. And, you know, just generally being helpful and wonderful. And so I have real affection for her, not just for what she does, but because of how kind she's been to me. We have a fun, insightful, and practical conversation about how to be a legendary entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, this episode is a special opportunity to go deep with a, a gal who is compelling, engaging, and wise. You may also enjoy the part of our conversation where we talk about how Jamie's kids are going to entrepreneur school. Check out Lockhead.com for the show notes on this episode and key takeaways. And now, hey ho, let's go. launching a new mastermind, which is super awesome. I just came back from vacation. So yeah, no, I'm good. I'm tan. All is well in the world. Where were you on vacation? Uh, in Tulum, Mexico. Oh, very nice. Oh. I got to see Mayan ruins. I'm a little, I wanted to be an archaeologist when I was little, so it was very helpful. You got to get your uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark juices flowing? I wore like a Lara Croft outfit. It was awesome. <laughs> Is that on your Instagram? Where do I see that? Yeah, but actually, it's on my, I have I have a thing for costumes. Just as a side note, I have lots of costumes. So yes, I always play the part. That's <laughs> so fun. And then do you have like your uh, Indiana Jones hat and whip too? Do you have that action? I do have a whip. I do have a whip, I, but, I, but I have a different kind of hat. But yes, I have, I have so many. You have no, I have a thing for cosplay. So we've even had at our house invited a whole bunch of actually high level entrepreneurs. I could name drop, but I won't. Uh, and I make them work costumes and we do board games. What board games? Uh, we've done Settlers of Catan. We've done, well, there's a whole, a whole wide range. Depends on who comes and if they're into hardcore board game stuff or if they're into more of the fun party game stuff. Wow. 
And so what is it with you and uh, cosplay and games? I'm a geek. <laughs> so so the sword wall, I think we chatted, I have a sword wall and it's all geeky swords. So it's all like Zelda and Wonder Woman and Deadpool. And that's, it's sort of from the old tech geek, Jamie, that used to just play video games all the time. That's me. Wow. Which I don't share all that much when it comes to this stuff, but that's me. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned Wonder Woman as a little boy. Uh, I loved Wonder Woman. You know, Linda Carter was one of my heroes and I loved that show and her and her personality and the whole persona and the whole thing, you know, almost as much as I love Batman. So I don't like DC as much, so we can talk about that, but you know, they're okay. I like Marvel. I don't know how geeky um, you are. Are you super geeky? See, I don't even know who's who, so I don't have <laughs> these. So, so is, which one is Wonder Woman? Wonder Woman's on DC side. And you like DC? Uh, I prefer Marvel. Oh, you prefer Marvel. Right now we only have Wonder Woman as one of the main, Captain Marvel's okay. We have one of the Wonder Woman. There's only a handful of females, so I can only get behind a few. So I totally get behind Wonder Woman, but she's DC. I don't like them as much as I like Marvel. But if you are on this train and you have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why <laughs> I should like one or the other. I just, I always like Batman. I like Batman because, I mean, even though he's a rich dude, he doesn't have any superpowers, right? And so he's just a dude. He's like, um, you know, um, uh, Charles Bronson, Death Wish. You know, he's a vigilante. He's like, well, you kill my parents, I'm going to beat you up and put you in jail, right? I, there's something about that, I, even as a little boy, I related to. <laughs> Do you have a Batman costume then? You know, I don't. My mom, so when I was a kid, you couldn't just go to Amazon and buy a Batman costume, right? Because none of that, of course, existed. And so my mom made me a Batman costume. That's an amazing mom. Yeah, like she fucking cut it and sewed it and the whole thing. And I wore it and I wore it for Halloween and I wore it around that, you know, we lived in a little apartment, but I wore it around the apartment and the, the ears. And I can remember, you know, growing up in Montreal, Canada, it was like, well, Halloween is at a time of the year where, I mean, you knew growing up in oh, yeah. cold. And winter she's like, coats. what does Batman do in the winter? You know, like, cause it, you can't sort of wear a park over your costume. And so it was always like, I don't know, 10 pairs of long underwear or something, <laughs> trying to stay warm, trick or treating in the, in the homemade Batman costume. That's a, do you have, you need to post photos on this afterwards, just so you know, do you have any? Because I do have do. some actually. And my mom <laughs> has even more than I do, as you might expect, but. Yeah, they, they look very funny and clearly homemade, and but you know, adorable because of it, right? That's amazing. Oh, so maybe she'll make cost- you one now. What was that? I wonder if she would. Maybe I could talk her into making me one now. My wife Carrie's very creative about stuff like that. She could probably do it too. And I like the old school Batman. Like I like Adam West, and, and not that I haven't liked some of the newer Batman, um, but. You know, uh, I met Adam West when I was a little boy. Yeah, my dad took me to one of those car shows where, you know, he would sign autographs and stuff. Awesome. And it was you'd like... You'd make a uh, good Adam West Batman. Pardon me? I said, you'd make a good Adam West Batman. Thank you. Yes. I relate to the the zap and the pow and the... bat. The, and he know. was regal. I liked that about him. Yeah, and he had a... I don't know if I do, but he had like a very good nose, mouth, and chin. Like his... That part of his face was really good in the cowl, right? Well, we'll find out after your mom makes you an outfit. <laughs> <laughs> and so do you have particular, so you like, do you, what do you like to dress up as? 
Well, so I have the wonder, I have the full Wonder Woman cosplay. But it was wow. Now is that on your Instagram? Where do you have photos of this? I, I, there probably is. Hmm. I don't. I don't take it. I'm a business coach, right? So I'm like, how much costumes can I really, really showcase? On my Instagram, it's more a little personal side of things. I don't normally share all my crazy costume things, but yeah. So the reason why I got the Wonder Woman costume wasn't actually for Halloween. One of my friends um, does Spider Man and goes to hospitals, and he's like, okay, if you get a Wonder Woman outfit, then we can go to hospitals. And I was like, okay, great then I can use it for absolutely everything else. And so that's the reason why we got it. We still have not been yet. So I just have the Wonder Woman costume, but it's waiting. So Josh, just text me and we can go to the hospitals. So you're ready to go to the hospital yet now, yeah. but you haven't actually done it yet. Not yet. No. Well, uh, there is something extraordinary when a, when a child sees one of their heroes. Um, and of course, I can remember being that child. Did you did you have any experience like that when you were uh, little meeting meeting? somebody that was a, a big deal to you? I don't know. Oh, oh, I did. Um, do you remember the car kit? The talking yeah, of course. Um, oh. Night Rider. Yes, Night Rider. Thank you. So I got to, yeah, I got to go in the car and he was there. I didn't really get to see him up close really, but he was there and that was a huge deal for me. That's funny. I haven't thought about that in a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. Kit. And it had, remember it had that red light that went around it and stuff and and actually, we're, we're getting pretty close, right? I mean, the new Teslas are getting there. And of course, we got the smartification of everything. And so, you know, sooner or later, we're going to say, hey, Siri, start the car, right? Like, that's not that far from now. Oh, gosh, no. Uh, the future. So I'm, I've always been obsessed with futuristic kind of stuff anyway. And so, yeah, it is really cool to see that car. I want that car. Just like Pat Flynn really wants the DeLorean. I don't want the DeLorean. I'd rather have, I'd rather have Knight Rider. Anyway. Well, and isn't Kit the Knight Rider car? Isn't this? It's a Trans Am, isn't it? I don't even know. Well, let me see I'm if a, I can I'm find. I'm not a car person. I really don't know, but I really about. like that car. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure I get one. I bet you you could. Uh, car. I'm gonna let's Google see. It. Knight Rider car. They're like twelve dollars now. Yeah, it looks. Uh, and so yeah, here it is. God bless the internet, Wikipedia. Uh, 1982, the car used as... When I was born, 1982, nice. Okay. You were born in 1982? Yes. I'm going to kill myself. That's a face? You just made a very interesting face. (laughs) I'm just going to kill myself. (laughs) Good to know. Sorry, everybody listening. I didn't mean to. (laughs) I have t-shirts older than you, I think. Um, So the car, 1982 Pontiac Firebird sports model that cost $100,000 to build, so equivalent of $265,000 today, so pittance. Um, so, yeah, I bet you... My first car it. was a Pontiac. My first car was a Pontiac Grand Am. Wow. Well, see, see the, the Grand Am and the Firebird were event, uh, virtually the same car. Let's see, I'm just Googling to see Knight Rider car for sale. Yeah, so here's one on, here's one on eBay. I was part of the Jeep Club, though, so it's very different than... Jeeps are very different than than those types of cars. Maybe yeah, I-, I like Jeeps too. I've, I had Jeeps for years. Really? Yeah. Uh, Wranglers. And then uh, I had a Wrangler named Lucy when I was living in Tahoe. Called her Lucy because she was this cool sort of burnt orangey red color after Lucille Ball. Hey, kind of, not, not too far off your hair. And, I get it. Match it. And then when I moved from Tahoe to Santa Cruz, I had a um, Grand Cherokee for a while. 
Nice. I've had that yeah. too. Yeah. We, we had a, a 36 inch tire CJ, uh, uh, CJ seven, I think it was, uh, back in the day. It was part of that whole club, except it kept breaking down over. We do rock crawling. It was in New Hampshire. When I lived in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire, there's lots of rocks. That's what you do before you have a podcast, you randomly <laughs> go rock crawling and fix things. Not that I can fix cars. I made the food for the people in the Jeep club to fix my Jeep because, you know, <laughs> I can't fix anything. No, it's a man. Food is a great way to encourage people to help you out, isn't it? It's all I can do. What I love you the need? people who feed me. <laughs> people who feed me, I'll do almost anything. <laughs> Wait, no, you just said that on your own podcast. Everybody's going to send him stuff. Oh, <laughs> send him cookies and brownies. I don't know. What's your send favorite? scotch. Oh, and scotch. Yeah. People I send was, me scotch. Really? Like yeah, I actually, well... I can't really reach it where I'm sitting, but there's like a bunch I'm drinking of... a lot right now. <laughs> yeah, no, well, let me see if I can. Uh, uh, yeah, this is scotch that was nice sent to me. And you'll see here, this has got the Legends and Losers logo on it. Wow. Yeah. So, baller. Well, but people, people say, like, I've never had a, you know, I don't really consider this a job, but, um, but I've never had a job where people send me shit, like, so cool. like nice shit to say thank you and stuff. Right. And I was, I I have a Ventral Millionaire boxing glove. Someone engraved boxing gloves that say, because I used to do a lot of Muay Thai. So I have Ventral Millionaire boxing gloves. I've got somebody, so this is the geekiness. I guess I should tell people I like scotch because I do like scotch. But but I usually get weirdo geeky things. Like somebody made me um, a Zelda million dollar bill with my logo all over it and like this case thing, right? It's like, I tell the kids it's like Christmas going to the P.O. box. Yeah, no, you never know what's going to be there. And, uh, an old buddy of mine I used to work with years ago, Ramsey Smith, who lives in Australia. You know, he sent me uh, whiskey from over there. And yeah, people send me stuff from all over the place. Yeah. The asshole mm-hmm. get weirdo gifts from random stalkerish people, though, too. So it's a little different, I think, for ladies than it is for guys online. Just, just so yeah. we're clear. Do you, so that happens to you? I mean, not that I'm surprised, but it sounds terrible. It's interesting. I've got love letters of people that are in love with me that I did never met before. So it's, yep. Interesting. Yeah. But you're, I mean, there's love and then there's love, right? I mean, I love your podcast. I love your work. I think you're an incredible gal, but that's not what we're talking about here. Not what we're talking about. No. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I remember, uh, have you ever had Amy Morin on your podcast? No, um, I haven't. Oh, you'd love her. She's the 13 things mentally strong people don't do person. Nice. And she's got, uh, I think, three, maybe four versions of that book. Her most recent one is uh, 13 Things Mentally Strong Women Don't Do. Nice. And I think she's wonderful. Her TED Talk is really worth checking out. She had some big early tragedies in her life, including losing her husband and her mother, you know, very close time-wise. And um, and she's a therapist and so forth and so on. And, and anyway, she, she's, I, I, I'm a huge fan. I think her work is wonderful. I think she's great. I, I have a soft spot in my heart because she was one of the early big time writers who came on uh, the podcast when, you know, the pod, our podcast was nothing. And uh, so I just have a lot of reasons to have a respect and, and affection for Amy. And, you know, she's, she's an adorable gal as are you. And, 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 and she was telling me like people say all this horrible stuff online and do like, and I never thought about that when you're a digitally public person as a, as a woman. So what, 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 tell me about that. 
Uh, what do you want to know? Uh, I, it's interesting. So I get gifts, uh, lots of gifts, uh, random gifts like face wash where I, I hope this uh, works really well on your skin and, and then weird, interesting things about me putting things on my face. I assume like, you don't put that shit on your face. No, you throw that stuff away. Yeah, yeah no. So <laughs> it's just it's just an interesting um, side note or emails or we've got anyway. It's it's just an interesting thing, and I don't think I've been in a mastermind group with like Pat Flynn and Sean Stevenson, and I'm talking to them. I'm like, so what is it like for you? And they're like, we don't get any of that. So. I need to chat with Amy because there's not, I just don't have a lot of female entrepreneurs um, in the space that really, they either, they either mostly cater to women. So most of my audience is men. And so typically I'm assuming, and I don't even know, but I can't find very many people um, that are having as big of issues on the, this side as me, mm. or at least none that I know of specifically. So if anyone knows anyone that I can chat with, that would be awesome. Well, maybe you should talk to Amy. She'd be great on your podcast too. She's a, she's fucking so great. She's got a great Instagram and LinkedIn game and uh, her and her guy, she's got a new guy in her life now, um, but she lives on a boat. I, I want to say, I'm pretty sure she's in South Florida, the Miami area. If I'm, I don't know, I drink a lot. So give me some leeway, but. Um, <laughs> Where's that scotch? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But she definitely has been living on a boat for the last few years because every time she comes on my podcast, she's in this boat. That's and awesome. Yeah, it looks really cool. And apparently they're having a really fun time living on the boat. But anyway, uh, yeah, she'd be a good guest for you. And maybe you could commiserate on, you know, weird things that dudes say and do and send you. And But I like, I don't know why why people would comment on these. You're not that sort of person, right? If you were like, you know, if I was like an abs model on Instagram, yeah, right? or, you know, if you were, you know, racing around and I don't know what, and, but you're not that you're a professional yeah. person. Well, so to me, and that's the, I like, that's why I'm very, very grateful. I, I'm not an Instagram model in a bikini. I'm, I can only imagine what they're getting. Right. Um, I'm grateful that it's not that it's just interesting that I, that I didn't think that that would be a thing, you know, and it is. Mm. It totally is. And, and one of uh, the people in our, our mastermind used to be a state trooper. So I went, I had her go through everything. She's like, this is what you should do. I was like, okay, great. Anyway, it's just, it's just a new learning curve that I never thought would be a thing. Right. Well, and even have you ever felt weird when a fan meets you in person, anybody ever tried anything weird or given weird vibes or, or is it just digitally and was weird I, stuff they mail you? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I love everybody in person, so maybe I probably shouldn't. Well, yeah, I guess there's a couple that I could probably, yeah. Um, so we were talking before about me getting divorced and, and when I was married, it was different when everybody knew I was single, I got a lot more. There's a lot more. <laughs> Let's just say that. So maybe, maybe that's chunks uh-huh. of it and stuff like that too. But yeah, it was, it was interesting. I maybe you that should a lot tell because I'm like, I don't know what else to think. What Maybe was that? You tell the digital world you just got married and start wearing a ring to get some of these creepos well, off you. So what's so funny is that a lot of people, or not a lot, but quite a few people, when I changed my name, thought I had gotten married. They're like, congratulations. And I'm like, I got divorced. They're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> right? What Remind me what your name was when I first met you. Or <laughs> you just, don't know. I can't remember now. Well, everybody jokes about how awesome my name is now comparatively. And they're like, why would you ever, when you got married, why would you ever switch? My last name before was Tardy. So I got jokes about being late all the time. So uh-huh. Jamie Tardy. But Masters is your quote unquote maiden name. Is that always, do we still call it that? Or is there a new word for that I'm supposed to know that I don't know? 
Well, I don't know either. I guess it's my maiden name. Okay. <laughs> it's but it's a good, name. like Jamie Masters is like, um, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the superhero name when you're not in the superhero costume, right? It's Ooh, that good sort of, right? I no, need my glasses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You put your glasses on and by day you're Jamie Masters and by yeah. night you're whatever. I know, I have to figure that out. <laughs> the character needs to be. It's like we That's had- like Different um, costumes, right? Different night, different, different person. We had um, the number one electronic dance DJ in America on. Wow. And his uh, stage name is Claude Von Stroke, which is an awesome name. And that's what he's known as. And he sells out these giant festivals and like he's, he's huge. And Billboard magazine said his record label called Dirty Bird Records is the top independent dance. You know, the guy's unbelievable, right? And his, his real name, is Barkley Crenshaw. That's which, a perfect. Yeah, that's so Clark Kentish. Well, and I sort of, I sort of thought I, maybe I should have got into it more with him. It's like your name is already so cool. Why do we need Claude von Stroke? Although I like Claude von Stroke, I like both names, but I think Barkley anyway. So that's his. How his did you even of, come up with that? I feel like I find that very interesting. Like, how do you come up with your alter ego name? That's cool. Or yeah. wasn't it back in the day, it's like the name of the street that you grew up on and then the first name of your first dog or something? They used to have well, that. They used to call that your porn star name, <laughs> right? name, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, something like that. Who would mind be? Okay. But uh, Jamie Ooh. Masters is like, a, it sounds like you, uh, you know, a stage name that uh, a Hollywood actor or actress, because of course, Jamie is a male and a female name, right? So. Oh, yes, very much. You can see like starring next to... Uh, I don't even know who's popular anymore. Like Lady <laughs> Gaga and Jamie Masters in the oh, new yeah. whatever movie. See, I like I like where this is going. This is great. Well, you're from Montreal though too. So the way that I spell my first name also means I love in French. And so uh, nobody anywhere can spell it, which is always fun. But just yeah, so j'aime. Yes. J'aime beaucoup. I love Masters. <laughs> j'aime beaucoup Jamie Masters. <laughs> I have a really awesome name. I Nobody can spell it, but it's awesome. That's all that matters. Actually- yeah, and remind me, is your URL jamiemasters.com or eventual millionaire? What's your, what's your website called? So what's so funny, I do have both. My okay, website's good. eventualmillionaire.com. I own jamiemasters.com also. And we're actually going to be building up more of the personal brand, but I'm, I'm trying to get the incorrect spelling because everybody spells my name wrong. Everybody. Even my first grade teacher made me spell it wrong because she thought I was lying. Um, so I don't Did they have... put in the extra I or, uh, you know, I'm dyslexic. So you got to explain this to oh, me. Oh, how perfect. We'll see. You might spell it right. No. <laughs> so, so normally it's spelled J-A-M-I-E. Okay. From regular people. And I do not spell it like that. And what do men, is there a difference between men and women, Jamie spellings or no? There's a million. So even like this book that I just, somebody signed over to me, spelled my name wrong in it too, but she spelled it J-A-I-M-I-E. Yeah. There's also, there's just like a million spellings of the name. So I just have to buy a million URLs or people can Google it. Maybe that'll work too. I'm one of those people when I do book signings, like unless the person's name is like Bob or Mary, where I'm like a hundred percent sure. I, I say, hey, listen, I'm dyslexic and I don't pay much attention. So just tell me, how do you spell your name? <laughs> That's awesome. Like, they, I'm pulling out the dyslexic card. You don't want to just sign somebody's book and misspell their name, right? That, that, I don't know. You wanna, I, I, I want to get their name right. 
well, I, I've learned my lessons over this long that I don't care as much as I used to. But yeah, that I'm hypersensitive to how I how other people's names are spelled now, and I on purpose try and get it right as best that I can. So maybe uh, maybe help me understand because I'm fascinated by this. Um, you you had a you, you had a budding career, podcasting, coaching, all your stuff with Tardy, mm-hmm. and right around it wasn't. You, I met you right after you switched back to Masters. But Tardy, of course, even though I couldn't remember it, at the time, it was your brand. And you were yeah. you built a tremendous business and were known as such. Yep. And then at, you know, you, you could tell me whatever age if you like. My father says you should never ask a lady her age. But, um, but you know, fairly advanced in your career, you went, whoops, uh, not married to that guy anymore. And yep. now Jamie Masters. And essentially... You're rebranding yourself from a business point of view. That's what's going on. Um, And so, you know, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I went back and forth for a long period of time uh, because even just um, going on stage, people would be like, what do I call you? Because the people waiting to see me know me as Jamie Tardy. So they don't want to introduce me as Jamie Masters. So they'd kind of do it. They'd be like, well, let's just introduce you to Jamie Tardy this time. And I'm like, okay, but... Oh, it's not really right. So it was this whole back and forth um, on what do I do? I was actually thinking about keeping Jamie Tardy as sort of my online brand and then having Jamie Masters just be the the me part. But everybody kept telling me the name was just so much better, right? I'm like, it is. It's better. I know. So uh, the way that I did it was not as strategic as I really should have. Now, a bunch of people have come to me asking me like what I did and I, and I know what not to do, at least now. Um, because one of uh, my friends was like, oh, well, come on, just change it on Facebook. It's not a big deal. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I'll just change it on Facebook. It'll take me two seconds. Um, I had been divorced for almost two years though already. And me and him were good friends. Um, I even, when I, I came out with a divorce video where I told people like I was getting divorced um, and I was like, oh, I should have him in it. So that way people don't think it's weird. We have Christmases together and Thanksgiving together. He's super cool. That being said, I was like, so I'm switching my name <laughs> just so everybody knows. So I switched it on Facebook and everybody was like, what happened? And I totally didn't even think how apparently big deal that would be. So again, some people were like, congratulations, you must've gotten married. And other, because people didn't even know I had kids <laughs> really, which was interesting. Um, and then other people are like, oh no, what happened? Right. And so because it made such a big splash, and I think I had so many people that were on my email list asking me like what happened that I felt like I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to put out a video and, and do some of this stuff. And I was scared. Like, I remember Dan Miller is, um, uh, wrote the foreword of my book. And I remember being like, is he going to get upset that like I got divorced? Right. I was so thinking about everybody else and what they were thinking about this. Cause it was so, that's not what you do, or that's not how I was raised. Right. Like you're just in it forever. Um, anyway, so long story short, it was one of those things where I decided looking out when I'm 60 or 70, which which person do I want to be? Which brand do I want to be building of my life? And so even short-term pain in the butt, I mean, my book still says the last name because Wiley's like, well, we won't reprint it, blah, blah, pain in the butt, right? So it is what it is. Um, and it's been quite a few years. I was 32 when I got divorced, uh, technically 31-ish. Um, and so it's been thankfully quite a few years. And now people like, you can't remember my previous last name, which is great, but I still, I still, it's a pain in the butt still sometimes. People don't know what to call me even five years later. Yeah, it, it is an interesting dilemma. Of course, this is another example of something that men don't have to think about, right? right? And the weirdest one of all <clears throat> in this regard 
um, there's a couple that um, I'm dear friends with, and I shouldn't out them, so I won't use their real names, but uh, they're both on their second marriage. So they're each other's second spouses. And the gal got married fairly early in her career, took her first husband's last name, we'll just call it Johnson. Mm-hmm. And, and so she's, and this is not her real first name, but she's Debbie Johnson, right? Yep. So Debbie Johnson marries Jim Smith, not his yep. real name. <laughs> but now here's the crazy thing. She made the opposite decision you made because when she got divorced, she was in her later 30s, if I remember right. And so in business, she was known as Debbie Johnson. And that was her, you know, LinkedIn brand and her network. And, you know, this shit matters, right? And people try to find you and whatever, whatever. And she's a very successful gal, but she sure she's known as Debbie Johnson. So she marries Jimmy Smith. So here's the crazy part. And as a, as a married man, I understand this. My wife legally changed her name, but she uses her uh, family name, her maiden name all the time, because same thing, right? Um, so most people still know her as that name. So, and, and that's Cosentino. So I get used to being called Mr. Cosentino. Right. Well, here's the problem for Jimmy Smith. He gets called Mr. Johnson, which Good. is his no. new <laughs> wife's ex-husband's fucking name. And it happens all the time. You know, she'll book the hotel reservation or the dinner reservation. And, oh, well, Mr. Johnson. And it's like, I, he's fucking not Johnson. He's Smith. And so, like, it's one thing when you get called your wife's name, which is fine. I think it's nice. I love her family. I don't, I don't give a shit, right? Um, uh, and that's fine. But I don't want to be referred to as my wife's ex-husband's name. <laughs> Suck it up, Buttercup. Don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, well, what are you going to do, right? But these are the weird, these are the weird things in life. And so, right? do you have any advice for women who go through this uh, situation and and what you what you've learned from it? Well, it's it's funny because I've literally had friends go, "Hey, can you talk to this person? They just have a couple questions." So, to me, the biggest thing is going, "What do you want long term?" Right. Yeah. So, if you can you can really picture it out. 30, 40, 50 years, what makes it easier in the long run then? Who do you want to be known as? Because nowadays we can do whatever we want. The, the, the weirdness of alter egos is actually way more accepted, like we're talking about, uh, than, than ever before. Thank goodness. You can be a person on Instagram that has sort of a weirdo, like eventual millionaire is my thing and people know me as that, right? But it could be something else later. There's different brands. So I think people are much better at, at getting used to changes, uh, which is great. But the complexity that can happen beforehand when you're in it sucks. So if you can sort of remove yourself from the in it right now, pain in the butt of trying to get the name off of your book kind of thing and, and pre-plan it way in advance, it's a little easier to pull out the weeds, especially, I mean, I'd ask questions like, do you want to get married again? Are you going to change your name if you do? Right. And that's what she was saying. Well, I do want to get married, but I'm not sure I want to change my name because who knows what his last name is? Like, exactly. Right. So we have to deal with a whole bunch of weirdo little things with that anyway. I mean, even yeah. in this day and age, building any sort of personal brand and getting married anytime, changing your name is a big deal. A lot more of a big deal before. I changed my last name because I knew how much it would mean to my former husband and his family, mm-hmm. even though Masters is a much cooler last name just saying my kid's last name is Tardy. particularly because you sell mastermindy shit right. and stuff right <laughs> everyone's like genius i was like yeah totally did that on purpose <laughs> <laughs> the world we live so in. if you but were yeah. to get married again no not change it so so 
I, I don't think I'm ever changing my name again. It's such a pain in the butt. You know, yeah. even just the paperwork that you have to put in for my passport. I couldn't, even for my passport, I was traveling so much. One of the reasons why it took me so long for the actual name change, I went to the Philippines. I spoke uh, there. I went to Bali. I spoke in Thailand. And I had so many events that I couldn't, even when I tried to... Uh, fast track my passport. I wasn't going to, I was afraid I wasn't going to get back in time. So I had to wait a ridiculously long period of time and then do all the name change thing all at once. I know the, the nitty gritty that nobody cares about, but yeah. it's a pain in the butt. So I'm not, yeah, so not again, it. Jamie masters. We're done. Guy better, guy better understand that it's not. <laughs> hey, I'm a brand now. We're not, we did this once. We're not doing it again. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I really wanted to take your pulse about uh, entrepreneurship and solopreneurship and, you know, your, your world of, of sort of independent one person or small kind of entrepreneurs, uh, particularly given that, um, you know, we're at a time where the Wall Street Journal has declared a crisis in entrepreneurship. Mm. And uh, we are, I just read this recently, um, we are less than half of the new business starts that we were in the 1970s. Wow. And so there's just this crisis of entrepreneurship, but yet at the same time, particularly for solopreneurs or independent entrepreneurs, or you tell me how you want to think about them. Mm-hmm. I lovingly refer to them as small E entrepreneurs. Um, that there's never been a better time. The technology, uh, we can run a pretty substantive business that does pretty meaningful revenue as one or two people, and we can outsource shit and find people around the world and Kickstarter this and, you know, all these Fiverr that and, uh, you know, all these things, right, that make it possible. You know, you and I both run, you know, little media empires uh, mm-hmm. with a group of people around us, but, you know, you're a one woman show plus, plus, plus. And so it's a fascinating time. Um, to be an entrepreneur, and yet we see this huge decline. And so I'm just, I'm just curious to get your read on where do you think we stand, particularly with the kind of uh, solo type entrepreneurs, youpreneurs, or you tell me how you think about them. All right, ready? No. <laughs> so, uh, soapbox moment. So I, I'm all in for all entrepreneurs in general. Um, and I also came from offline business back in the day. So I've been a business coach for 10, 11, 12, my son's 12 now, so 12 years. And looking at the amount of startup costs and stuff like that, that some of those blue collar like landscape companies and stuff like that needed beforehand, it's insane how easy it is now. Uh, So to me, I'm not sure that it is such an issue of not starting. I think it's an issue of where we are uh, belief wise, right? But I also think that's changing because if we look at the future of technology and where like jobs are going right now, we're like in a little bubble hoping that all the jobs are going to be fine. And soon enough, we're going to realize that it's not, right? Robots are going to be replacing us quite soon. Uh, so, so I have a feeling that that's going to become even bigger and bigger and bigger, especially with college and the price of college and how crazy it is. There's going to be a lot more online learning. They're going to, I hope, I have huge hope that younger generations, I mean, my kids go to an entrepreneur kid's school. And the amount of things that they learn, oh my gosh, they're brilliant. They're, they surpass me at 12. It's insane. So your son's 12 and... Uh, my daughter's 10. Your daughter's 10. Yeah. And they and both so, do entrepreneur school? Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Yes. And what, what do you do when you're 10 and 12 years old at entrepreneur school? So let me give you the roundup of how I wish I grew up, right? So there's, there's no homework. There's no grades. 
they don't have teachers, they have guides. So the guides can guide them, but they're not allowed to give them answers. They have to figure it out themselves. They have no desks. Their number one um, goal of their school is that kids love school. So what they're doing is they're teaching them uh, the core skills kind of stuff, more of a gamified way. So that way they're doing actually online uh, gamification. So that way they don't have to wait for the other kids to sort of catch up. So they're learning two times faster also, which is another thing that the school wants. And then they learn life skills. So my son has actually video edited for my clients and done better than my editor that's been with me for eight years. My client picked his, my 12-year-old's, over my video editor, which was really impressive. Wait wait a minute, I just want to make sure I get this. Your 12-year-old son... Yes. Is kicking and video is a big part of your business. Uh, is kicking your professional video editor who you pay money to's ass. Yes. yes. <laughs> He's unreliable though, and that's the problem right now. But yes. Doesn't always show up on time. Right. Well, he started a business this week, this past week. So because it's summer, um, he started a pressure washing business. So he started going door to door. He knocked on two doors, and I was like, "Let me help you knock on doors." He's like, "Mom, I'm cool." Like I, he didn't even need me. My daughter needed me. We've done, we've sold Rosemary door to door with her, but he went to the second house. The woman got, gave him $85 in three and a half hours. He made 85 bucks. He's like, I'm good. I'm like, if you. What's he pressure washing? Driveways. Wow. And he has some little, well, like some pressure yeah. washing device that you helped yeah, him with. Or something? Yeah. yeah. I don't even really know how to do it. He's great. So, I mean, so to me, the accessibility, so he started looking at tons of YouTube videos on pressure washing and how to do it effectively and efficiently and how to make flyers. He has, I wish I had a flyer with me right now. He was printing out a bazillion flyers. He hung them up everywhere. Like the amount of information that he has, I, in the seventies, 80s, 90s, we had none of this stuff. So to me, the the gap or the speed of implementation of somebody that is trying to learn a new business, even though we definitely have information overload, don't get me wrong, it's just it's just going to shorten that gap if they're willing to push themselves out of their comfort zone. And so to me, the best thing about the school is that it's about grit and pushing out of your comfort zone and teaching that at a young age, not teaching memorization, which is huge and something that I can't totally uh, teach from me because they're like, mom, really don't. <laughs> they don't like my business advice. They like the school's business advice <laughs> that they give, right? Because I'm just mom. And so actually, let me tell this funny, this quick story. So um, there's levels in the school and uh, my son's in level two. Level three is like the more high schooler cool kids, right? And so one of the guys that is the level three teacher that my son looks up to, because my son's um, creating a um, movie also, writing a script and doing a whole movie thing. And the teacher from L3 comes over and we were chatting about podcasts for some reason. I was like, oh yeah, I have a podcast. He's like, you do? What is it? And I was like, eventual millionaire. And he goes, I, I thought that was you. I've been listening to your show for the last four years, like every single day. And my son's sitting there and I'm like, see, I'm cool. You guys see? Cause see, I'm finally cool. Right. So they're going to bring me in to do a podcasting class, which would be, which will be really fun. But it's so, it, my son doesn't think I'm cool. Not even a million years. He had to have a teacher actually think that I'm cool before I am actually cool. So it, 
having somebody outside of yourself as a parent is, is invaluable to be able to give the kids more of a baseline of what they need. So I have hope for the future that it is going to be a lot better. I think these schools are going to be a lot more widespread. In Austin, they're going crazy, uh, which is awesome. Um, and I'm just crossing my fingers that that's, that's the future that we're looking towards, not the grim, uh, you know, futuristic uh, downfall that we might <laughs> look at. I just love this story so much. I, it drives me nuts that we don't teach entrepreneurship. It's not not that it's right for everybody, but even if you don't, it's like, look, you know, I learned to play the saxophone. I don't play the fucking saxophone. I didn't play it for that long. I'm not a professional saxophone player. I, I, I lost interest fairly, you know, quickly, but we learn these things in school. We try things. And even if you're not going to be an entrepreneur, learning to take responsibility, learning to be creative, learning to generate, you know, revenue and income for yourself, right? I love that. And, you know, I'm reminded of the corollary to that. And I, I won't say who, because it's not nice, but there was a, a, a younger person in my life, you know, I'm, I'm either uh, by marriage, blood or, or, or quote unquote adoption, uh, uncle to many children who call me Uncle Christopher. And, and one of them who's sort of, I don't know, roughly 14-ish, 13, 14, sort of is bitching to me about that they want, I, I don't know what it was, an iPad or whatever it is, and their mother wasn't getting it for them. And I said, well, why don't you get a job? They right. said, well, I'm too young to get a job, uh, a job, Uncle Chris. I'm like, all right, well, why don't you, why don't you do something entrepreneurial? And they're like, well, like what? Like, I said, I don't know, mow lawns, find something you can do in the neighborhood, knock on doors and say, hey, do you want me to mow your lawn? Or I don't know what. And if you want to sit down and brainstorm things you might want to do, I'm happy to do. Anyway, I'm trying to have this conversation with this child and they are literally looking at me like I grew a third eye. What, you want me to what? And then you want me to do what? I ain't doing any of that shit. I just want to bitch about the iPad. Hopefully the universe will slap him or her at one point. So therefore they'll learn their lesson. I mean, I can't say anything. When I, w when I got in college, I wanted everything that my parents had. So I bought my first house when I was 19 because that's what you do. Two bedroom, three bedroom cape, super cute with a white picket fence. I bought two cars because that's with loans because that's what you need to, right? I needed a full-time job so I could pay for all this stuff. I got in $70,000 in debt and learned my lesson that I had to keep a job I hated because I spent way too much money because I wanted to be like my parents, even though they took their entire lives to be able to afford what they did because they didn't have a lot of money. And so a slap in the face when I was younger of where I sort of um, uh, resulted because of all those things that I thought I could have at such a young age, right? Um, so I don't want to slap the... Uh, <laughs> I want to slap the arrogance out of the kids, right? But I don't want to slap, slap the what they think is a good uh, path because those are learning lessons that they need to learn also, right? So I learned my lesson the hard way and I'm stubborn. So I had to learn it that way. Otherwise, someone telling me wouldn't have, wouldn't have done it. Do you know what I mean? I am, yeah. and unfortunately, my children are like that too, which for better or for worse, this is going to be interesting when they're older. Uh, but to me, the, the learning lessons that we, we have to go after now, it's, it's all progress. Even if you learn, even if you have to be 30 by the time you learn some of this stuff, right? Because <laughs> sometimes it happens. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not perfect either, especially now. <laughs> well, all your fans think you're perfect. Right. Literally. Totally perfect. So perfect. <laughs> And so what are the, the big things, uh, you know, 
What are the big things that are on the minds of these smaller business owners that you're coaching? And you know, what are the big barriers? What are the big challenges? What are the things that you're helping them get through? What are their concerns? T- take me a little bit into your world and into their world. Perfect. So uh, a lot. And we work a lot with um, somewhat solopreneurs. Most of the people we work with are six and seven figure guys. So, and females, don't get me wrong. But um, when we're looking at what they actually have, we're a lot of the times we got our blinders on and we're sort of just looking at our own stuff, right? So a lot of it is teams. Do I build a team? Can I build a team? Is it going to cause more chaos to build a team? Who do I even hire? Like these are skill sets that entrepreneurs aren't taught. So one of the reasons why it's hard to go from solopreneur to something else is because they don't know how. I didn't know how, right? And so it's a whole skill set. Some people go to school, like Leilani, who you got a chance to meet in the interaction. She has a degree in HR and business. I do not have a degree in business and yet I am a business coach. So, so when we're looking at how long people can go to school for certain things, it's insane. And yet as an entrepreneur, we expect so much out of ourselves. Like we can hit it, nail it out of the gate, which I know is not correct because there's lots of people that I've had to help people fire, which sucks. And it's just because we're learning and we're trying to figure that stuff out. So to me, one of the biggest things that you can really do is evaluate where you are and be completely honest with where that is. So what I like to do when I work with entrepreneurs is really get a lay of the land and diagnose what the top level problems are that they have. Um, A lot of them are very um, owner focused, right? We are definitely not perfect as owners. Uh, And sometimes we don't even realize how crappy of a boss we are or a manager we are or whatever it is. We look at them and we go, oh, why does my employee suck, right? What is this, right? Um, So really trying to pull apart the pieces of what uh, their awareness is and what the sort of diagnostics that I can do on it, like what they're actually doing. And if they have a team evaluating their team, because it might be a, it might be an owner issue. It might be a team issue trying to like pull apart the pieces. So we know what's going on and having an objective view to look into it because anybody that's sort of in it is too in it, right? It's hard for them to see the forest for the trees. So we have a chance to get a lay of the land. And a lot of the times it's skill sets that entrepreneurs just don't have yet. And they have to put a lot of focus and effort if it's hiring, if it's actually being a good manager, if, it, if it's doing operations or hiring somebody that's operations, it's trying to figure out all those pieces. But because they're separate skill sets and we just assume we should get okay and good at it. So we try it and we suck. And then we stress out because we have it, we're micromanaging our team and then we feel crappy. And then you think it's just the team part, not, not the fact that you hired incorrectly and suck as being a boss. Like there's, there's just a million potential issues on the growth side, let alone the sales and marketing and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, the fact that we're business owners and dealing with as much as we deal with is really, really impressive. And I don't think people pat themselves on the back enough either. They have really high expectations because we have wonderful interview shows, but I love how yours is very real. But a lot of people, even on my show, they're like, oh, it was great. It was hard for a while, you know, and then I figured it out. (laughs) Right. So we gloss over all the shit that people go through. Isn't that what the white, the Wright brothers said about the airplane? <laughs> it was hard for a while and then we figured it out. <laughs> and now sunshine and roses all the time. This is great. And I know even, even in amazing six and seven figure businesses, people want to go crawl in a corner and be like, I'm done. Right. Cause the nature of business is kind of insane and pushing yourself constantly on a personal evolution side of things is also insane, especially if you have a family and other, other commitments. And so well, and it's also it's this human drive for more all the time, right? Like, you know, you think, okay, well, 
if I go back to um, um, Claude Von Stroke, mm-hmm. he spent 10 or 12 years trying to make it as a DJ, doing all sorts of shit jobs, right? And he said to, he was telling me, uh, he, he said to, about many different girlfriends, he would say to them, how hard can it be to make 40 grand a year as a DJ, right? And like, and it, it took him 12 years to sort of get to that place. And like, now he's got an empire and a record label and he does all these, I don't know what his, his revenue is, but like, it's funny how you can be at that place where it's like, I just want to make 40 grand a year as a DJ. And then all of a sudden you're like, fuck, we're only on track to do 15 million this year. We should be doing 25. This is bullshit. Right. right? Or know. You know, in Silicon Valley, it's like, well, you need to be, if you're an early stage company, uh, that's in market, you need to be growing at 3x a year or you're not even growing, right? And so there's just all these, it's always this push, 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 push. And it's hard to remember. It's like, hey, you know what? 15 years ago, you would have been stoked, absolutely stoked to make 40 grand a year as a DJ. And now you're trying to figure out like why your record label isn't like doing $20 billion. Or, you know, I, I, you, you understand what I'm saying? It's, we're always that way, aren't we? So, okay. So after interviewing almost 500 millionaires, the hard thing is, is that it's like an innate need. I remember when I was eight, I was like, my mantra was progress when I was eight, which who the heck cares when you're eight about that stuff. But it's like this innate thing where we just want to do better and more and more and more and more. And we're kind of preconditioned like this as humans, especially with materialism and all that fun stuff right now. But I find some of my favorite work and the work that I've done, because Personally, I was all about more, 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 more until I realized, oh, killing yourself to get more is stupid, right? So starting to meditate and really starting to pull back and really understanding what actually brings you joy versus what what brings you achievement, right? And when they were so intertwined, especially for somebody who's an overachiever like me, they're so intertwined that I couldn't pull them apart. I was like, I, but when I achieve things, I feel good. So now I'm, I've been on Yahoo's homepage six times and now I've done this and now I've done this and now everybody knows my name and that's great, right? It does, none of that stuff actually matters. And so when you start to have sort of some of the, that success, you want more. Don't get me wrong. There always wants to be more. I still like progress, but it's to me more mitigating my own brain and knowing myself better to be able to manage it. So it's not just about the external influence of, I now feel better because the condition looks better outside. It's that I feel better because I can mitigate my own craziness. Like as an entrepreneur, we have not so brains. Seriously. And a lot of the people I interview have, I have ADD, you have dyslexia, tons of- I have ADHD too. I have all that stuff. I have a whole bunch of it. I put it together, Jamie, and I call it dysphuclia. Own it, right? Exactly. Like, what the fuck else are you going to do? So, so to me, knowing yourself really, really well is the best thing about entrepreneurship, even though it's shitty, super shitty to be like, nope, I suck at that. Nope, I suck at that. Nope, oh, that's not good either, right? There's just a million holes that it opens up. But thankfully, the, the, the holes to fill it are not achievement and materialism, which you'll find out if you get long enough in the game, right? After interviewing somebody, they call it the millionaire myth or whatever it is, right? You're trying to fill all those holes of issues that you have of not being good enough and with stuff and that way it'll make you feel better. Well, that doesn't actually work either. So either way, trying to figure out yourself and mitigating your own brain to me is one of the best things of being on this planet, even though it's weird in there sometimes, right? (laughs) Yeah. And it's, I'm fascinated by dichotomies and I'm also fascinated by uh, intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. Right. Uh, And the weird, there's some magic line 
right? And and so, you know, I think about it from a podcasting point of view. It's like, well, um, my motivation to do this was to have amazing conversations with amazing people, most of whom, the vast majority of whom would not sit down and have a conversation with me without the podcast, right? Jamie Masters isn't talking to me just because, <laughs> and, and, you know, neither is four-star general Stanley McChrystal, Right. Um, but then, of course, you get in the game and as an entrepreneur, as a marketing guy, as a competitive person, all that, you're like, okay, well, how are we doing? And how many downloads do we have? And and da 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 And, uh, and, then, and then you realize, well, okay, it's not about that. It's actually about the conversations. And then, I didn't know this coming in. You've known this for a long time. Interaction with people who listen is actually a huge joy. I, I did not know that, right? Oh, um, so but then, you know, this happened to us recently. If you had said to me in the beginning, hey, you're going to be a top 200 business podcast, I would have said, that is absolutely our BHAG. I don't know if we can achieve it, but that's the dream, right? That's the big, hairy, audacious goal. That's the dream. And recently, I, I load up Twitter and Facebook, and there's Kevin Miller from Ziegler, and there's Jason DeFilippo from, from Harbinger, and they're both essentially saying the same thing, which is, hey, dude, you have the 53 podcast on Chartable right now overall. And I was like, what? Holy fuck. There's 700,000 podcasts and we hit 53. And for a moment, we were out charting Oprah. And it was like, wow, right? But, but what happened after that was I realized I was stoked and you know, there's about 12 people who helped me with this podcast in one way or another. And like, it's lots of celebrations and beers and cheering and it feels great. I mean, you know what that, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but interestingly enough, on one hand, it's great to like massively overachieve a goal and think, holy shit, 700,000 podcasts, 53. I don't even know what that math is on a percentage basis. This is like dream the impossible dream shit that just happened to us. And so there's this moment of complete rolling in it and loving it and, and celebrating it and all that. And then you know what? Next morning you wake up, put on the coffee, have a poop, and just kind of get back out to your life. And so there's this fascinating dichotomy where on one hand, it's not about the results. Mm -hmm. Because the intrinsic things are, are way more powerful. But yet at the same time, I have found that... I can be more intrinsically satisfied when I know I've produced some extrinsic stuff, whether it's, you know, financially or, you know, the podcast outcome or something good happens with one of my books or whatever it is. And so uh, we had Carrie Walsh on, Carrie Walsh Jennings, um, and, and she seemed so intrinsically motivated to me. Mm -hmm. But then she said to me, she said, but make no mistake, I'm going to Tokyo because in Brazil, I got a bronze. And when Lululemon sends me the sponsorship checks, I cash them. And so I've been just grappling with this thing ever, this idea of sort of the balance of intrinsic and extrinsic. And it's just, a, I, I'm forever fascinated. So this is leading me to something, which is, um, how do you think about sort of this balance or this idea of, of intrinsic and extrinsic motivation? Great question. Okay. So uh, a couple of things that I want to highlight based on what you had to say though, too, because the, as entrepreneurs, we don't celebrate enough typically. So go you for celebrating and all that fun stuff. But when you actually think of the, the, 
I lean more toward Buddhism in sort of the middle way, right? So if we look at, we can't actually say that failure is that big of a deal, right? We're like, okay, it's just learning. Everything's great. Failures, these issues aren't that bad, right? If we can do say that to that, that also means that the exciting, crazy, amazing stuff also is not, doesn't matter, right? And so, but when you look at both of those, you're like, oh, well, that sucks because I really only want the good stuff, but I don't want the bad stuff. But when, <laughs> but when you're looking at it, either they're all the same, right? Or not. And so I, I personally think, because I am not perfect at this in any way, shape or form, but I feel like it's this ever evolving flow of trying to figure out where we're at and be very cognizant of where during that moment. Again, I'm working on this. I'm not saying I'm actually great at this yet. Hence the reason why I need to meditate all the time. Uh, but, but when we look at the difference between it, it's like, what is driving that? Right. I think ex- ent- extrinsic is also amazing because we are only here on this earth for so long and I want to experience all the things, right? I don't want to cause myself chaos for not achieving all those things though, right? So on both sides of the coin, I can be excited, but that excitement just makes the, the, the shittiness feel even more real. So the contrast between the two, right? The shittiness can start to go a little crazy. So if we sort of bring it down to the middle way, I feel like it's a little bit better. So to me, I like both sides of the coin. I just want to know which side of the coin I'm on. So I don't blow it out of proportion. Does that make sense? Yes. I also think having thought a lot about this and having thought about it again recently, Mm -hmm. um, it's the noise in my head Mm -hmm. gets quieter and therefore I can focus more on the intrinsic joy of whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. when there's some extrinsic validation, that's just the truth. And if that makes me shallow, then that why? makes me shallow. But Wait, why? Why is that? I, because I think, well, I think we're, as human beings, we're driven to achieve yeah. and we're driven to push ourselves. And not in everything, you competitive know. Competitive ones are, just saying. When you I go for a hike, I'm not trying to like hike this trail the fastest of anybody, right? I want to enjoy a nice hike. So there are mindsets around different activities that we do. But if we, for many of us, particularly those of us who are entrepreneurial, if we're doing something that has some kind of a competitive bent to it, mm-hmm. we sort of can't help ourselves. And that there were times in my life where I totally embraced that. And there were times in my life where I tried to resist that, trying to say I should be more, you know, intrinsic than extrinsic. But here's the truth. I can, I can be more in, intrinsic with some extrinsic Scooby snacks along the way. Right. Not, I don't always need it. You know, like yep. the surfing is the thing that I do that has no uh, extrinsic, That's what I was gonna ask you. Exactly. No extrinsic value. Every once yep. in a while, one of my buddies will say, Hey man, you know, you're looking like your surfing's pretty good. That's a, the closest thing to extrinsic validation I get with surfing. That's awesome. Nobody ever says good wave to me. No, I'm just not an impressive surfer. Right. So it's mostly extrinsic, but even uh, mostly intrinsic, but even with that, when you do surf a good wave and you're out there with your friends and one of them says, hey, you look awesome on that wave, that validation does make the internal joy come up a little bit. And, mm. and look, I would be less than candid if I didn't say, look, I, I, had not, I didn't have a chartable account. I, I don't look at our number. I stopped doing that a long time ago. I look at it maybe once every couple months with, um, with Jamie J, our producer. But I, it's not like, because it's just no 
who gives a fuck up? You're never going to feel good about it, right? You're, you're just like, it's either not enough or not to, what, what, there's just a dumb, and it's also not something I want to get my brain that focused on. That said, I'd be less than candid if I didn't say, holy shit, you know, once I found this out that we had broken the top 200 and that at least for a day or two, we were trending above Oprah. <laughs> but question, okay. I so felt different intrinsically. I did because of that extrinsic validation. It's just true. Okay, so many questions for you too. So, so one, you said at the very uh, beginning of all of that is that your brain can actually turn off easier when you're in that, competition type mode. You feel like you can actually let your brain, your brain will relax a little bit more. That's what you said. Ish. Right. Yeah. And also, um, when there's been some success, like when you're poor, I grew up with not a lot of money. There's a lot of noise in your head about money. So I, that's my point. Though, when, so you, when you achieve some financial freedom, all of a sudden that noise goes away and then you realize, okay, well, life's not really about money, but then you made some money and you don't have to worry about finances anymore. And so you're, you're a little full of shit. I'm speaking about myself. Uh, and so, yeah. and so it's just this dance of when you don't have the results in your life that you don't, that you want, you're nutty about it. At least I can be. And you want those extrinsic results to occur and the things that come with it. But then when you achieve those things, you realize you got to get up tomorrow morning and poop and, and you get back to business and you sort of, it, it was great. I don't take anything away from any of those wonderful things I've been associated with. But, but then you just you get back, back on with your life. But having not had put some of that moose on the hood, the noise yeah. in my head would have been a lot louder. And so, I don't know, there's this weird thing going on for me, which is um, the extrinsic increases the intrinsic a lot. Like a little extrinsic gives me, you know, one extrinsic gives me... 10x intrinsic. You don't have to, like when the yoga teacher saying, says you're doing better, you. right? I want to pull this apart a little bit because one of the things that you said, which I found very interesting, was sort of the competitive nature. But I'm wondering if the extrinsic validation is popping you into flow easier or making it so that you can actually get in more of a meditative state where your brain really isn't that constant. You're not good enough because you've got that extra flow state. Does that make sense? So when you say you can do surfing, you're in flow. So I'm wondering if your brain can sort of be more present in the moment when you do have extrinsic validation because you can go, ah, oh, I'm good for a little while. My head's above water. I'm okay. <laughs> right. And then, and then you go back to the real world, which is your internal chaos brain. I'm wondering if there's, there's a, a liken to something like I think like that's that a very, think. very powerful insight, Jamie, because mm -hmm. like, I know where I am as a surfer, like the, the, uh, like, but at the same time, feeling like I've achieved a level of, I don't know, competence Yes, means that when I'm surfing, my home break, I, I can handle any size wave that comes through. So I can surf a double overhead wave, no problem. Um, I can deal with the crowd. Um, most of the time, even if it's crowded, if I want to go surf, I'm not going to let the crowd bother me, which is, uh, for me, was a big step as a surfer. Mm -hmm. And so... So when you get to a place where for yourself, in your own opinion of yourself and what you quote unquote think you should be capable of, when you get to some level of success, mastery, ability, competence, I wouldn't say I've achieved mastery at surfing, but I'm, I'm a competent, intermediate, longboard surfer. And I'm good with that, right? And, and, and then like as a podcaster, 
hey, two and a half years in, holy fuck, I'm beyond good now. Like whatever noise I might have had at some other point in time about, you know, this should be bigger, faster or whatever. Wait, wait, wait. I have a question on that, just so you know, because what you said, which was very interesting. So when you, you said beforehand, oh, I am externally motivated, especially when it comes to the BHAG or whatever, like, oh yeah, I know it's far away. We'll see where it is. Right. But then, but then you said, while the celebration, when you hit it was absolutely amazing. You stopped looking at the numbers on purpose. So why did you stop looking at the numbers on purpose beforehand? Did it make you feel shittier? Um, I think there's probably a little part of that because whenever you are not where you think you should be, but at the same time, uh, I also realized that um, I was having a ton of success as a podcaster, primarily because A, I get to have these incredible conversations and B, there are people who give a shit and that value it. And, and the combination of those things are incredible, right? And, and we all compare ourselves. And if I step back and compare myself against most podcasters, well, fucking A. I mean, I, this is going to sound terrible, but, you know, I smoked most podcasters a long time ago, right? But, but then you go, oh, well, fucking, you know, Serial is doing yeah. 20 billion downloads a second or whatever, right? And Yep. Fucking government funded NPR is killing it, all of us in every category and like, yep. fuck them. Or, you know, what, what you go to that place, right? Or Adam Carolla or whatever, or Mark Marin or wh whoever, you know, whatever you want, right? Jamie Masters ma emasculates me or whatever, right? And so yeah. <laughs> you have this stupid sort of comparison thing. But I, I guess my point though is I think if if we can get to a level where we're enjoying it. So the, the extrinsic is high and there's enough intrinsic that tells us that we're on a good path, that the world is responding in some way. Um, then I think we're good. And, and, and that, that, in, that extrinsic then stokes mm. the intrinsic, at least for mm. me, right? When a buddy of mine says, Hey, you're looking pretty good on the board. You know, I feel good, better about going surfing or when a good positive external thing happens in your business or whatever part of your life, or even look, frankly, uh, when you go out to dinner, you know, um, and, and in my case, your wife says, yeah, you look handsome tonight, honey. Right. Or, or I say to her, you look beautiful tonight, baby. Right. Like we, we like the, to hear those things. Is your love language words of affirmation by any chance? What do you mean by words of have, affirmation? Have you ever taken the love languages quiz? I, I don't know what you're talking about. So there's was, like, I have no idea what you're talking I wasn't about. Even there. I, was, I think I might've been drunk. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> More scotch. More scotch. So, so there's a great book called the five love languages uh, by Gary Chapman. And it, it's mostly about relationships. It's about how you receive love right? And how, what you actually value. So there's five of them. One of them is called words of affirmation. The reason why I'm asking you that is because each person is a little bit different. So because I work with so many different clients, it's really cool to see the way that you're saying stuff is totally different than what some entrepreneurs would say as far as intrinsic, extrinsic. But I think it's just because we're different humans, right? We have a different makeup. And so the reason why I asked you though, is because it sounds like you get a lot of validation through words, which some people don't. I do. I'm a words of affirmation person. So I like being told I'm pretty just so we're all clear. Not in a creepy way in letters, but otherwise, yes, right? So, so to me, it's how we receive and actually- I created this collage of things <laughs> to show you how pretty you are. <laughs> I have 
somebody sent me screenshots. I'm so, I make so many facial, I do weird faces all the time. And somebody sent me screenshots of all the different faces that I've had. This is Jamie's pirate face or all sorts of, it's been interesting. Uh, anyway, anyway. I assume that was creepy. <laughs> Uh, it's funny for a little, and then it got creepy. No. <laughs> so, so, but being able to understand how you actually uh, internalize stuff and how you receive something, to me, that's what matters most. And, and a lot of the interviews um, that I've done, one of the biggest things for me is how they know themselves. So when you look at whether it be success or, or a perfect, not perfect marriage, but a, an amazing marriage or whatever those things are, it's us knowing ourselves better than anybody else and keep continually knowing yourself so you know what feeds you. So the fact that you're asking that question, I think is absolutely amazing. Most people don't even get that far, right? But I think that that ratio is skewed depending on the person and how they receive things. Because like you said, some people are completely intrinsically motivated and and in that case, maybe they just paint and they paint for themselves and that makes them happy and that's okay. But them knowing what the ratio should be for them that keeps them on the cycle of, of mostly happy or joy, that's what we're looking for. It's the skew of, of unhappiness that we're trying to figure out for ourselves because it is different for every mm. person, my opinion anyway. <laughs> yeah, that I think sense? the big signals that I look for both for myself and for others are really at a super high level, pretty simple. Um, am I having fun? Mm-hmm. Right. Am I enjoying whatever the, this is, whether it's hanging out with Jamie or going for a walk or a surf or working on something with it, with, you know, one of the companies I'm involved with or whatever it is. Right. Um, uh, and then I, I uh, what's on my mind is say, knowing that I made a difference. Mm. So my own self judgment is that I did something of value and look, somebody else says that. Right. And so, uh, it's nice when your spouse says you look good. We all want to look what our best, but I'm I like it better when you know she says I'm really having a great time with you. Mm-hmm. Right? Why? I, I re- well, because I I, I want to have a good time, and I particularly want to have a good time with her. Right? And I want to have a good, good time. Husband. Good well, husband. <laughs> yes. I fucking married her because I liked her. You know, it's <laughs> I didn't marry her because I didn't want to spend time with her. No. Right. But and, do you feel like it's making a difference? Is that what is that what you're saying? Um, I think having fun and making a difference can go together. They don't always. Um, but I think if you're having fun with somebody else, mm-hmm. by definition, you're making a difference to them and yourself. When you're mm-hmm. just having fun, maybe you're making dif- making a difference for yourself, which I think is totally fucking valid. Um, but I, I I also do like to feel like I'm making some kind of contribution in the world, whether it's a simple contribution where, you know, four of us went out to dinner last night and we had a great laugh and it was really fun. And, and we shared some stories about life and that was, you know, that could be one thing, or it could be doing something for a charity, or it could be, you know, some awesome email I get from a, a listener or, or, you know, whatever the fuck it is. But, but I think we all want to feel like we are important to somebody and that, that what we do makes some kind of contribution. I, I that to me, is a huge driver. And it seems like, again, I only have my own experience, but it's a fairly uh, human one, particularly if from a Maslow hierarchy of needs perspective, you know, you're not worried about like a lion trying to eat you or where the next meal is. You know, you sort of got the basic hierarchy of needs mostly handled. You do at least, I think most people naturally look outward to, am I a good person in the world? Am I a good neighbor? Am I a charitable giving, you know, et cetera. Totally. 
No, definitely. Are those all weighted differently though? Are the differences that you make, do you weight them differently in your, in your mind, the person of whether it be a charitable contribution or something else, is it weighted differently or is it all counted as part of the same? You know, that's interesting. I think as a younger person, Jamie, I probably did weight them differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is, it's hard to deny you know, things that make a difference at scale. So if you look at, you know, an extreme example would be what Bill Gates and Melinda Gates are doing with the Gates Foundation, right? They are making a giant difference at a massive scale, right? And, and there's value to making a difference at a massive scale that, that it, you know, is worthy of underscoring for sure. At the same time, um, I think it's perfectly great to uh, be friendly to the guy or gal at the checkout at the grocery store and say, hey, thanks. I I really, you know, nice chatting with you. Have a great day. It's not a profound thing. Um, I'm somebody who likes to throw a $20 uh, bill into the tip jar at, you know, Verve when I go to get my coffee. They may or may not see me do it. But mm-hmm. I know that somewhere along the line, somebody's going to go, hey, fuck, somebody threw a 20 in here. Mm-hmm. Right? And I feel like I made a difference there if I made somebody smile or whatever. And so, you know, there's a sliding scale. Um, and there's probably some worth in talking about, are you making a difference at some kind of scale for sure? Mm-hmm. But, you know, we got an email three or four days ago from a listener in St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. I think I've been to St. Louis maybe once. I have no real memory of it. Maybe I was at a Marriott. I don't know. I've been all the podcast of- guy I just got interviewed was from St. Louis. So I'll introduce you. Maybe you can hang out with him. No. <laughs> yeah, I, listen, I think it's a cool place and music scene I wish I knew more about. And, but anyway, whatever. It's not a place I know. And this guy is, works in a, a family business, construction business. And long story longer, he sends us note. And essentially, what he says is because of your podcast and your book, you've helped really inspire me. I have this idea for a, a technology company in the construction industry and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and it's, you know, we're going forward and I just wanted to thank you. And I, I read the thing and I said to Carrie, I said, you know what? If, cause it's been about four years now since I started writing, right? So my first book came out three years ago and, and, and then the podcast and then the second book and da, da, da. So, but, but let's say it started, it all, this whole thing started four years ago, this new part of my life. I said, your baby, if all of it for the last four years was to make this difference to this one guy, it, that's been worth it to me. Yeah. And so do I love the big numbers and the report from the fucking book guys that say the book's selling and then you get these things from Amazon. You're like, what? You know, Mm -hmm. somebody just bought 50 cops, you know, all these things. Sure. Those things at scale matter, but there's something very, very profound when one human being reaches out to you and says, Hey, you know what? Your shit made a difference to me. Thank you. Please keep doing it. I'm right there with you. So, so I say testimonials are my goal. Testimonials are whether it be clients or people that I impacted that I've never even met before is like insane that we're able to even provide that much value to people that you don't even know, which is huge. My question to you though, because I apparently am asking you just a whole bunch of questions is do, does the, after that email comes through and you're like, it was totally where everything was worth it from this one thing. The next day you poop, you go back to work, you just keep doing the stuff. And that still was not quote unquote enough, even though technically it was. Yeah. I, um, I think I'm at a place now where 
it's not always true, of course. But for the most part, I realize that the reward for doing any pursuit that you choose to pursue, mm-hmm. whether that's Muay Thai, I love martial arts, or entrepreneurship, or painting, or playing guitar, or whatever it is, the uh, extrinsic validations matter and, and, and can fuel us. But the truth is, the reward for podcasting is that we get to podcast. The reward for training martial arts is not achieving a belt or whatever. If you're going to go fight, fight, winning fight. You know, I, I know a lot of fighters and they'll tell you there's only ever been one opponent. Yep. And that's ourselves, right? Yep. And so the reward for the thing is that we get to do the thing. And it's easy to say that once you've gotten some results, because if you do the thing for an elongated period of time without any results, it can cease to feel rewarding. And I have been in that place and I know I'll be back in that place. Right. <laughs> Part of the human The dilemma. crappy thing is that we know we're going to be back there. Darn it. Might as well enjoy right now. <laughs> Thanks. <right>. Yeah. <laughs> And if we get some level of quote unquote success, extrinsic validation, I think the aha then becomes the truth is the reward for doing a pursuit that you consider to be a worthy pursuit, a worthy investment of your life, because that's what it is, um, is that you get to do it. Hmm. I agree a million times. Well, it's the, to me, it's the personal evolution. That's why we're in business and kids can give us this. There's so many different ways that we can get more information about ourselves. Cause like you said, we're battling the same only internal, our brain, all of this could be perception anyway. Who knows if it's real or not. Right. So, so to me, I did a video the other day cause I have a pool, right. And everything sort of comes in, in waves anyway. Like the, like you said, when we think everything's all sunshine and roses, eventually there's contrast, right? There's just contrast in this human experience in general. So I did a video jokingly about my pool because in the summer months, I have to fill it up because it evaporates too much. And then in the winter months, it freaking overflows all the time, right? So I, I can get pissed about it overflowing and I can get pissed that I have to refill the gosh darn thing all the time. Or I can just enjoy it when it's overflowing and enjoy how hot and amazing it is on both sides of the coin, right? So we have the ability to look at whatever we look at and make a choice technically, even though a lot of the times it's, you know, belief and and it just sort of comes up on our own. You technically have a choice on how you look at something. So what I heard from you, which is amazing is you're like, in my older age, I am now able to look at something and see it completely differently, whether it be a one person thing or a hundred million people thing. And I can get the same validation or the same feeling based on that. That's amazing. And that's what I'm trying to get better at too. Instead of judging the weighted scale of how much impact I made or how, um, what I'm doing matters more, right? Versus um, doing it on a on a scale of going, you know what is really good. I can I can choose to believe however I want to believe on this, um, and if I can just mitigate that as much as I can, then most of my life is full of joy, and a bunch of moments of joy add up to a really joyful life, and that's really what I'm going after. But again. It's dealing with our own entrepreneurial brain, especially with negative self-talk that we are all preconditioned for, fortunately or unfortunately, right? Yeah. Love things that we have to get past. It's awesome. Uh, But I also love the challenge. Well, and I also think we in the business entrepreneurial world can look, at least I do, for inspiration outside of it. So, so for example, I have several friends who are nurses. Mm. And nurses generally particularly 
I have two now that are uh, head nurses, but of course they grew up not being head nurses. And when you're, when you're a, I don't know what they call a, you know, regular staff nurse, whatever, you make a difference one patient interaction at a time. And sometimes that's a meaningful one. You do something for a period of time. And sometimes you walk in and you say, you know, Mrs. Masters, uh, how are you feeling? Do you need anything? And you say, could you get me a glass of water? And the nurse gets you the glass of water. And that's the end of their interaction. You make a small difference that way or whatever it is. But nurses make a difference one interaction at a time. And a lot of those interactions are less, uh, they're not huge. They're smaller mm-hmm. things. Of course, some of them are bigger things. But, but what I realized from some of my nurse friends is that that that's why they fucking do it. And so they're not necessarily as an individual trying to make it, they're not trying to save every patient on the planet because one human being can't. Mm. What is quote unquote good enough for them, what their reward is one person, one interaction at a time. And when you realize that and you realize how important that role is, I anyway, with a more business context head go, I got my head on my fucking ass. Right. Because if I can make a difference to one person, yep. you know, I shouldn't view that as, oh, well, at least I made a difference to one person. When when that's the headset of a legendary nurse, like, well, that should be my headset, too. And so I, I find that also comforting. <laughs> <laughs> it's all OK, because I mean, I, I like you said, uh, there's only so much time and energy and space. And, and what's so funny is I've learned a lot about myself that I want to fix everything and everyone for everyone beforehand, which it was to the detriment of myself, which I've learned that lesson many times over. Right. Um, but even just being able to, to, um, find the joy of that exact moment, I feel like what I, what I try to help entrepreneurs with as best as I can is to understand that this moment is fleeting, whether it's beautiful and amazing or really, really shitty, no matter what it is, it is fleeting. And so because we can look at it, whatever way we want to look at it, the nurse can be happy in one interaction at a time, instead of being a nurse that wants progress and is only happy if she hits a hundred patients and then goes home feeling shitty because she didn't hit a hundred. Right. right? She's, like, she, she's not playing a volume game. Which, which one would you want to be? Well, why do we drive ourselves crazy as an entrepreneur? Oh, cause sometimes we are born this way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sometimes it's like, it's like this progress to this competition like you were talking about there's a lot of pieces that are sort of innate uh, or or feels like it is or or pre-programmed in our childhood right i was told i wasn't good enough all the time and i was like i will beat you i will my older brother i will do whatever it takes to beat you right which is a very masculine thing that apparently not very many females have i'm making a big generalization in this but i'm i'm very competitive comparatively right and so but i it was a gift hated it at the time a gift in that um, it makes me push harder. It really is a wonderful gift in so many ways. And also freaking sucks in so many other ways because I'm never satisfied. I always want progress. Like there's all these, everybody's got different sides of whatever coin they're working on, right? And knowing where we are really does make that difference. Like I was talking about before. Oh, I wouldn't give up my competitive nature because it's made me who I am. And and yes, external achievements and amazing things. Um, But it's also made me understand more about myself and that it's not about checking the things off the boxes and, and achieving things because that didn't actually make me feel better in the long run. The next day, you go back to work. 
regardless of how many people saw you or what impact you made, every day you just show up. So if we can come to the level of this is life and being in the present moment as much as we possibly can as an owner, which is very difficult, especially for a futurist pre-planner, like I'm always trying to, to optimize for something, uh, hence the reason why I need to meditate so much, right? Um, makes, makes me realize and sort of sit back in myself and be like, okay, I'm never going to get it done. It's never going to be perfect as much as I want it to be, right? And all I can do is the best I can with what I have right now. If that is good enough, then I should technically be happy. Yes. Now, clearly, Jamie, I could talk to you for 400 hours, but I, <laughs> I want to be super respectful of your time. Um, uh, a, is there anything else you want to touch on? And B, I have one other thing I will for sure want to say to you before we wrap. Oh, don't get me started on something else. No, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Well, the big thing I just wanted to say to you is thank you. Uh, you I don't know that you, re, you probably don't realize it, but um, I'm pretty sure you were the first major podcaster to take a, um, to take a flyer on me when there was no uh, evidence that you should. And so one of the things I've loved about podcasting is so many podcasters are generous and, and, uh, and not actually very co competitive. I certainly have never felt competitive with you or frankly anybody else. But I just want to say to you, fucking thank you. You know, you invited me on your show and um, gave me a great opportunity shortly after my first book came out and were incredibly gracious and generous with me. And I've been a huge fan. And so I just want to say thank you. I think you're wonderful. Ah, I so appreciate that. I really, really, I don't know that I ever would have thought the impact that I could make even on ridiculously amazing humans, not just client wise, but people I interact with like you, like I read your book and I thought it was phenomenal. Of course I'd have you on the show. Do you know what I mean? To me, it's like a give, give. Thank you. I really, really appreciate all, all the stuff, especially being on your show and having random, amazing conversation like this. Well, and I hope you come back. I don't know what the hell's wrong with me that it took this long for you to come on, on my podcast. But uh, the whole time we're talking, I'm like, why don't I talk to this gal a lot more often than I do? So anyway, hopefully you'll come right? back. I definitely will come back. This was a joy. Jamie Masters, no kidding. You're a rock star. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have an amazing day. Stay legendary, my friend. I sure hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jamie as much as I do. And Jamie, I want to thank you again for, uh, for joining me for a wonderful conversation. Now, to drive growth in your business, you've got to know your customers. And that's where my friends at NetSuite come in. They help you with their number one cloud ERP platform to create a single view of your customer across all channels so that you can have complete visibility into online, in-store, call center, uh, multi-channel, transactions, and interactions so you can build rich, deep and wide customer profiles based on their behaviors, their interactions, of course, their buying uh, habits. Um, and that data and information about customers can be made available across your business to sales, marketing, and support so that you can create targeted segments for highly focused, personalized campaigns based on what your customers actually need and want. Uh, understand your true uh, customer lifetime value. And while doing that, reduce costs and improve customer satisfaction by integrating all the touch points that deal with your customer across the board with one integrated cloud business platform. That's NetSuite. And NetSuite is providing a wonderful opportunity for you to spend an hour with an expert in your industry talking about how these kinds of approaches can make a difference in growing your business. So go to netsuite.com slash different 
netsuite.com slash different to schedule your free growth review with NetSuite today because uh, when you know your customers, you're going to get growing and who doesn't want to know their customers and get growing? <laughs> you can find us on the internet at lockhead.com, L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D.com. And while you're on the site, why not subscribe to our wonderful newsletter called The Difference? And um, uh, I have a new marketing podcast out called Lockhead on Marketing. Why not check it out on lockhead.com or anywhere you get legendary podcasts? All right. We would like to thank our friend and today's guest, the unbelievable, the podcast legend, Jamie Masters herself. Check out the eventual millionaire podcast wherever you get legendary podcasts. My friends at Bottleneck Virtual Assistants. Is it time to scale yourself and get back uh, the power of time and get back some uh, and get some help that you need to grow yourself and your business? Check out bottleneck.online and explore the power of a virtual assistant today. Splunk, bringing data to every question, every decision, and most importantly, every action. Check out splunk.com. And, uh... uh <laughs> Why not check out our friends at onelifefullylive.org? This is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. That's the number one, lifefullylive.org. I need to remind you that this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and we would love it if you shared the shit out of it. Make no mistake, your shares make a giant difference. However, we must warn you that this podcast is clearly created in a studio that does contain nuts. Um, remember to teach kids podcasting. Buy John's Crazy Socks, practice legendary marketing, teach kids entrepreneurship, only buy pasture-raised free-range eggs, never forget to listen to Leonard Cohen, and uh, thank you, Candy Dandy, love you, Mom and Dad, and hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Marcus Rust, CEO of Roseacre Farms. Sorry, Marky, we just ran out of time for you. Thank you so much. It means the world to me that you invest part of your life uh, in this uh, odd cast. Stay legendary. And until we're together again, of course, follow your difference.